Earth, third planet from the sun. Out of the planets, anybody know what in in size ranking? Of course, Jupiter being the biggest. Where does Earth fit out of nine? Fifth is correct. Good job. Fifth largest planet in the solar system. Only the gas giants, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune are bigger. Earth is the largest of the terrestrial planets of the inner solar system, bigger than Mercury, bigger than Venus, and bigger than Mars. Now, I want to throw some numbers out at you. You ready? The circumference of the Earth at the equator is about 24,902 miles, which equates to 40,075 kilometers for our friends who use the metric system. <coughs> but from pole to pole, north pole to south pole, the meridional circumference, Earth is only 24,860 miles or 40,008 kilometers around. Anybody know why? This shape, I love, this is my favorite part of the message, by the way. That's, that's not true, but I do. I'm going to say something that's a lot of fun to say. Are you ready? This shape caused by the flattening at the poles because of the rotation of the earth. As the earth rotates, it kind of flattens a little bit. Is called an oblate spheroid. Write that down. Oblate spheroid. You don't have to write that down. I'm just playing. I just like to say it. Earth's density is 5.52 grams per cubic centimeter. Earth is the densest planet in the solar system because of its metallic core and rocky mantle. Jupiter, which is 318 times more massive than Earth, is less dense because it's made of gases such as hydrogen. Now here's the nitty gritty. Earth's mass is 6.6 sextillion tons. 6.6 sextillion tons. Anybody know how much a ton is? 2,000 pounds. So 6.6 sextillion tons is how much Earth weighs. That's a lot, right? The total surface area of Earth is about 197 million square miles. About 71% is covered by water, 29% by land. And there's a lot more I could say here. I'm going to pass up some of this for time's sake. All of this is to say that all of that talk, all of these years about it's a small world after all, it's a bunch of malarkey. Earth is big, right? I mean, it's big. Almost 25,000 miles around. 6.6 sextillion tons. That's big, right? I'm not trying to trick you. Everybody's going, what, what, what? I think it's big. It is, it's big. I've seen houses that are big, right? And how many houses are on the earth? Eiffel Tower is big. Statue of Liberty is big. So is the earth big? That was weird. I just looked over and saw Andrew and Gina. <laughs> I was not ready for that. <laughs> So is the earth big? Now stop saying relative. Is the earth big? Yes. Thank you. 
I don't owe the earth anything, just so you know. I'm not a debtor to earth. <laughs> so that is to say that all this talk of all these years that it's a small world after all is a bunch of malarkey. The earth is big. Anything that weighs 6.6 sextillion tons is big. I don't care who you are. But let me give you some numbers about the proposed size of the observable universe. Note that I said observable. We have no idea how big the universe is. Observable means the farthest we've been able to see or measure any radiation with the heavy-duty hardware we have both on Earth and zooming through space. Are you ready? The diameter of the observable universe is 8.8 times 10 to the 26th power meters. You don't, you don't, have, you don't have the capacity to imagine a number that big. It's, you don't have it. Okay. Earth was 12,756 kilometers or 12,756,000 meters. So compare that to 8.8 .8 times 10 to the 26th power. You, you can't. You can't do that. Remember the 6.6 sextillion tons in mass? In kilograms, kilograms, would you say kilo or kilo? In kilograms, that equals... 5.98 times 10 to the 24th power. That's how much 6.66 trillion tons. 5.98 times 10 to the 24th power. The observable universe, 10 to the 53rd power kilograms. And so much of that is made up of what? Space, which weighs nothing. So those are really big numbers. And there is some relativity to this. But let me ask you my original question. Is the earth big? Thank you. The answer is yes. Is the observable universe bigger? Yes. Is it much bigger? What's all this got to do with what we're talking about in Romans today? Hopefully will have a point of reference for something big and something much bigger. What do I mean? Well, before we dig into our passage, we want to take the time to do what? Review? Let me read first. We're going to read Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. So if you would stand, we'll read, and then we'll recap where we've been. <coughs> Again, this is one big chunk. Chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. It's one thought, but it's too much for us to take in one swallow. So we're breaking it down. Last week we looked at 12 through 14. This week we'll focus on 15 through 17. Next week we'll look at 18 through 21. But it's all one big thought. That's why we're going to read it all together this morning and then talk about our passage. So, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. 
For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. God, we come as beggars at the foot of this passage, God, we are helpless and hopeless, but because of your Holy Spirit whom you have given us through your free act of grace, we can understand this. We can see this. We can live this out. So we come as beggars saying our hands are empty. Fill us up. We ask for your help, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So let me quickly reiterate where we've been. We've seen sin. Everybody's a sinner. We've seen that the means for being made right with God in our sin is justification by faith alone. And we're in our third point, which is blessings, the results of being right with God. And I think we've already seen there's a lot that comes with that, Um, and and it'll get much, 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 much bigger as we get through the end of chapter 8. Remember what we said last week, okay? 12 through 21 being one big chunk passage, and what did Paul do at the end of our first verse that we looked at last week? Anybody remember? If you look at verse uh, 12, there was a little hyphen at the end of verse 12, And I said that Paul broke off his thought because he knew that there'd be some objections to what he said. And he wanted to clarify what he meant. What we are doing, he is still clarifying what he meant by that first passage in verse 12, which was, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. He will pick up that thought next week when we start back in verse 18. So we're still kind of in this parenthesis this week. Again, I'll say, please, as the week progresses, read 12 through 21 again and again and again and again so that you can get the big flow of thought. And we'll come in here today. We're going to get that middle part to wrap up his parenthesis. And then next week we'll come back to where we were last week and finish the thought. So we're still talking about the fact that Paul said that when Adam sinned, all sinned. And I think we established last week that the main thought pattern that we're looking at is God set up an economy where representation is important. And Adam represented us when he sinned so that when he sinned, we all sinned. And that set us up for representation in Jesus so that when he was faithful and 
acted in a righteous way and lived a perfect life that we could be represented by Jesus. Does that make sense? Are you with me? We were represented by Adam, which we would say may not be fair because I didn't really sin when Adam sinned. And God said, yes, you did. Because in Adam all sinned. And the way God set things up is, I want you to see that I'm all about representation, which was the word. What was the word? Imputation. God has set this system up to work through the concept of imputation. Because Adam sinned, Adam's sin was imputed to us. Okay? And as we journey through Asian Station, what happens is God takes the guilt of that sin away from us, which is expiation, the sin that belonged, original sin, conceived in original sin. And we, we talked about, and this was important, we talked about the difference between sin as a principle, sin as a law, and actual sins that people commit. You aren't a sinner because you committed sins. You commit sins because you're a sinner. And again, that's important. And you were born into it because of Adam. Because God chose representation for you. But as we progress through Asian Station, God takes the guilt of that sin away from us in expiation. He pours His wrath out upon that guilt, upon that sin, through propitiation, pouring His wrath out upon Christ instead of us. Then, in imputation here, He gives us Christ's righteousness so that we stand in a state of justification the right to be in God's presence, which will, has led, is leading toward final salvation. Now, <clears throat> let's dig in here. We're going to start in verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Now, <clears throat> last week we talked about Adam and Jesus being similar. In what way were they similar? We just said it. They were both our representatives. Okay? That's how Jesus and Adam are similar. And Paul wants to paint that picture but he also wants us to know that they are in steep contrast to one another. They are alike in one way and one way only, and that they represent us. What Paul's going to do now is he's going to launch into a tirade explaining how Adam and Jesus are completely different, and how their acts are completely different. <clears throat> so the first word is what? But, so, it's a contrast, right? It's a contrast to what we just saw in verses 12 through 14. 12 through 14, Adam and Jesus are alike in this way. But, Adam was like Christ in that he was our representative, but the Holy Spirit through Paul makes it clear to us here that Adam is not like Jesus in a few other ways. The free gift is not like the trespass. Adam was similar in that he stood in our place, but the results of what they did and what they did were completely different. <clears throat> Here we look at the result of what they did. First, let's look at what the verse says Adam did. Adam committed the trespass. 
And with that trespass came what? Death. One man sinned, and then death came in through that sin. And note that it says, for if many died. That word many is interesting there, because what did we establish last week? Who died because of Adam's sin? Everyone. So was it many or was it everyone? Yes, is the answer. Be careful though, because Paul's going to play with these words, and I'll talk about it here in a second. Paul's going to play with the words many, and he's going to play with the word all. We won't get to the all part until next week. But here he says that many died, but we established last week that all died in Adam. All sinned in Adam. All died in Adam. And all would definitely be many. All of us is, a, you know, many of us, right? But again, hold on to that thought. So Adam's trespass brought death. What is the contrast then with Adam's trespass leading to death and who Jesus is and what Jesus did? If many died through Adam's trespass, what is the contrast? Look at the end of the verse. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. If Adam's sin resulted in death, much more God's grace and the free gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Now that small phrase, much more, is the key to these verses. Much more. Get that in your head. And it's really simple to understand. What's it mean? It means much more. Much more means much more. Anybody ever read Oliver Twist? Please, sir, can I have some more? And they're astounded. They're baffled. He wants more? What I want you to get in your head this morning is that when he's saying much more, he means much more. And that's, that's not trying to oversimplify this. I'm just trying to get it in your head that that is the preeminent point of this passage. Much more is the theme of this passage. <coughs> Excuse me. We saw last week that Adam's one sin, one sin, had catastrophic consequences for who? Everybody, all. One sin, catastrophic consequences for everybody. The beginning of the verse this week reiterates that. But here, as bad as Adam's sin and the results of that sin were, much more God's grace and the gift that came for Jesus' act of obedience overcame the death that came from the one sin. Much more. It's plain from the verse that God's grace and the results of Jesus' obedience are greater than the problems caused by sin. Are you tracking with me? Sin is bad. It's real bad. Earth is big. It's real big. But... God did something through Jesus' act of obedience that is much more than the awful, terrible, unthinkable consequences of sin. Hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. It's plain from the verse that God's grace and the results of Jesus' obedience are greater than the problems caused by sin. 
get it in your head that the Holy Spirit through Paul is showing that what God did in Christ was a lot, 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 lot better, greater, more effective than the depths of our depravity. And in the depths of our depravity, we are really, really, really bad. God hates sin so much that He ordained that one sin would result in the death of all men. God hates sin so much that He ordained that one sin would result in the death of all mankind. 6.6 sextillion tons of sin in one sin. One sin, death for all. One choice to eat a piece of fruit caused everybody to die. That's how serious sin is. How much God hates it. And I've said over and over probably the last few weeks that our depravity is awful news. And I've said that our depravity is really good news. Which is right. Both are right. It's awful because it means we are absolutely helpless to save ourselves. We're as bad off as we could possibly be in our depravity. But it's good news because it means God has to save us. We're as bad off as we can possibly be. And as such, if He does it, it will be done not only right but it will absolutely blow our doors off. That makes depravity the best bad news you've ever received. So it's clear that Adam's sin was awful. 6.6 sextillion tons of awful. But what Christ did in comparison is like the size of the observable universe, at least, better than the 6.66 trillion tons of awful. You see where I'm going here? Are you tracking with me? Depravity is awful. The earth is big. But what God did in response to that depravity is at least the size of the comparable universe or observable universe compared to our sin. Probably the size of the universe that we don't we can't even fathom. We can't really fathom how much better what Jesus did is than how bad what Adam did was. Much more. Much more. So the terrible truth of death introduced through Adam's sin is swallowed up in the cavernous beauty of what Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? He lived a perfect life that fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law of God, then God, in His grace, gave us the free gift of that rightness, which is righteousness, to not only undo the death, but He gave us more than we can imagine to the positive side of the equation. It's not like Adam's sin put us at negative 100. And then Jesus came in and did a positive 100 to get us back to zero. Does that make sense? 
Sin was bad. It put us in the negative. So Jesus came in and said, oh, I better get you back to zero. That's not what happened. Adam's sin put us at negative 100. Jesus came in and gave us the opportunity to be at positive infinity. He didn't just overcome the negative. He blew the negative away with an unimaginable positive. Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day in fellowship with God. That was wonderful. We talked about that back in our message of Romans 5, 1 and 2. God's design was to dwell with man who was made in His image. And that was really good. But now because sin came and God dealt with sin by giving us the righteousness of His Son, listen, not only do we have the promise of dwelling with God for eternity, but we have the gift of His Spirit now We have His very life in us so that He can live His very life through us. Adam and Eve were to reign and rule on the earth and have dominion over it. We, as blood-bought brothers and sisters of Christ, listen, will reign and rule the universe and are now seated with Christ on His throne at the right hand of God. Now we'll see this more clearly at the end of the message, but for now, suffice it to say, Jesus didn't just reverse the curse. He did much more than that. Much more. And that work abounded to many, according to the end of this verse. The word abounded, listen, this is going to sound familiar to you if you've been around for a while through 1 John, the Gospel of John. That word abounded means a thing which comes in abundance or overflows unto one. Something falls to the lot of one in large measure to redound unto, to turn out abundantly for, to abound, to overflow, to be abundantly furnished with, to have an abundance, to be in affluence, to be preeminent, to excel, to excel more than, to furnish one richly so that he has an abundance, to make abundant or excellent. Abounding is used of a flower going from a bud to full bloom. So, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Again, it wasn't like God was up there just carefully making sure that we get this filled up a little bit. He's just pouring it out and we're just standing. Anybody ever been to one of those water parks where they got the big bucket that fills up and then tips over? We picture God saving us as... Let me, let me. No, no, no. Big bucket. Anybody ever got knocked down by that junk? You're standing... <laughs> yeah. The bucket is bigger than we can imagine. And it was full. And He poured it out on us. He caused this free gift of grace to abound to us. It is so much more than we can handle. And that's important. What Jesus did that God gave as a free gift was poured out richly so that it would overflow. Remember we talked about eternal life in 1 John? And what kind of life was that? superfluous, overflowing, too much to handle. It runs out onto everybody around you because you just can't contain it kind of life. 
You were dead in your sins and trespasses. God caused grace to abound in you so that that grace knocks you down, flows into you and out through you so much that you can't contain it. That's the picture that Paul's painting here. It's much more than we understand. Now remember the thing about many. We got many twice here. Many died. Then the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for who? So is many here all? Will everybody be saved? No. Now, I, I, I just say that to say, tuck that away. Because next week we'll look at all in this same way in the rest of the passage. And at one point, all means many. And at another point, all means all. Here, many means all. And many means many. So tuck that away. Forget about it for the moment, okay? But keep it in there. Verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So this verse starts with what word? And. Okay, we started with but last time and this time. So this is not a contrast of the last verse, but a continuation of the previous verse's thought. But... There is a contrast stated in it. Let me do that again. We saw that God's grace was given as a free gift, and here that free gift is contrasted with the judgment following the one trespass. And what's the contrast? What he's saying is that the condemnation seen in the case of Adam's sin came after how many sins? One. Adam committed one sin and the axe fell. Judgment fell, and it fell on everybody. So the condemnation came after one sin. One trespass brought condemnation. And I think we looked at that pretty thoroughly last week. In contrast to that, the free gift that God gave in Christ came after how many trespasses? Not sure we have a number for that, by the way. Our 6.6 sextillion may not be enough for that. How many sins had been committed before Jesus paid the price for them on the cross? How many sins had been committed in all of the total population of all the earth from Adam to Christ in those 4,000 years? How many sins do you think were committed? A lot. Okay? Not only that, but how many have been committed in the 2,000 years since? Especially considering an exponentially explosive population growth leading up to 7 plus billion people populating the earth today. How many sins have been committed this morning in the world by those who have new life in Christ? And the one act of Jesus' obedient life, death, and resurrection overwhelmingly conquers all the sins of all the redeemed people of all time. Condemnation came from one sin to everybody. 
but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. One sin, death to all. One act of righteousness through Christ overcame not just one sin, but countless sins. Let me do a quick application point here. If Jesus' obedience can overcome all the sins of all the redeemed people in the world for all time, do you think He has a problem overcoming the vast amount of your sins? I almost cussed just now. No! He has not. If you committed 6.6 sextillion sins in your life, Jesus Christ has no problem overcoming every one of them. You're like, yeah, but that one, really? Really? You're going to bring that up? You're going to bring that one up? Yeah, but my attitude is really stinky most Sunday mornings. Yeah, Jesus has no problem overcoming that. His act of obedience has no problem overwhelming that. Your one sin. Your 20 sins. I'm not saying it's okay to sin, but I'm telling you this, the sufficiency of the blood of Christ overwhelmingly conquers those sins. And that's fantastic news. He overcame all the sins of all the redeemed people of all time through one act of obedience. And you're going to say, well, I don't know if He can forgive me for that one thing I did. Come on, people. Get over yourself. Get over your guilt. The good news is Jesus overwhelmingly conquered that sin you're worried about. Praise God for that. But one act brought justification for all the elect of all time. We could spend more time here, but we won't. Let's run quickly to that last verse that we'll cover today. Verse 17. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ. I want to talk about that right now, but we've got to set something up. Now this verse ties these thoughts up nicely, I think, and it packs a powerful wallop at its end. We see Adam and Jesus contrasted again. Because of Adam's sin, one man's trespass, death reigned. Now that's a big statement. Because of the one sin of the one man, death took a powerful grip over all men from then to thereafter. Now, who wakes up in the morning and say, Man, I like death as a ruler. Death, you're really good. Death is my favorite king of all time. I mean, really, what kind of connotation does death have? I mean, it makes you feel heavy when you hear death. Let me see the Lion King. Mufasa. Ooh. Say it again. Mufasa. Ooh. Death kind of has that effect on you, doesn't it? It's like you hear the word death and it's like instantly you cringe. It's like you, you shrink because you feel like you're under the power of death and it's an oppressive power. Death became the ruler of all mankind when Adam sinned. And death reigned through that one man. Because of the one sin of the one man, death took a powerful grip over all men from then to thereafter. Death is not a very pleasant ruler. 
Adam gave up his place of authority and he gave it up to death through sin. What did God tell him? If you sin, you will die. They sinned. So death came in. Again, the thought of death reigning over mankind is catastrophically bad. Worse than we can imagine. But much more. Much more. Much more than that and the awful consequences, there are those who receive two things here. The abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. As those who have been plucked from the power and sway of death, born-again believers have received as a gift abundant grace and the free gift of righteousness. We talked a few weeks ago about how all of this rests on grace, meaning it was God's benevolent choice that made this happen. Let me read that again. It was God's benevolent choice that made this happen. And what He graciously gave us was the free gift of righteousness. Free gift of righteousness. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can do nothing to obtain it. Nothing. It is God's free gift. Only God can give this gift. And if we hearken back to the intro to our music, you don't owe God anything for it. It's a gift. It is a gift. God has graciously, sovereignly given you the free gift of being made right with Him. And we saw in point two of our outline, it is through faith, faith in the finished work of Jesus, but it is by grace through faith. Man's choice led to sin, which led to death. God's grace led to righteousness. Which led to what? And here comes the wallop. Look at the end of the verse. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You're like, okay, I don't get it. Good. Let me tell you what it means. Reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now don't miss that. Remember, we just said that after Adam sinned, death reigned. But after the free gift of righteousness, who reigns? Who? No longer are we reigned over by an oppressive ruler. Much more will those who received reign. Will those reign? Uh oh. Do you know what that means? Do you get the implications of that? Who reigns? Not life. You would think that since death was reigning before, that now life would reign. Right? But that's not what Paul's saying here. Paul's not saying that life reigns now that Jesus did something. He's saying 
reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ. So He did much more than just overcome death and appoint a new ruler over us. He overcame death and made us rulers in life. Much more, much more than you think or imagine is what just happened. You're like, well, I'm not really seeing the much more in this. No, think about it. Not life, but those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. And not only do they reign, they reign in life. Whose life do they reign in? Reigning in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. God didn't just win us back for Himself from death, but He gave us the place of highest authority, placing us in Christ so that we might reign and rule with Him over all things for all time to the praise of His glory. Not only does death not reign over us now, we reign over not just death, but all things created, whether in heaven or on earth, through the life, through the authority, through the glory of Christ Himself. And get this, that pleases God. It pleased God for that to happen. Tiny little verse, Luke 12.32. No, I got out of order. Let me read Luke 12.32 for you. It's going to be up there again sometime in a second. Jesus says this in Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You who once were reigned over by death itself, God has found it in His benevolent good pleasure to give you His kingdom so that you can reign and rule in life through Jesus Christ over this kingdom. Not only does death not reign over you anymore, you reign in life through Jesus Christ. In Christ, because of His act of obedience, we have been given, please hear this church, we have been given the very kingdom of God. And it is much more than the immense damage that was done through Adam's one act of disobedience. God didn't just make you better. God didn't just fix your little scratch. God remade you into the image of His Son. Seated you with Him on the throne at God's very own right hand and said, It pleases me to give you my kingdom because of one man's act of obedience. And you did nothing to deserve that. And you could never earn that or pay that back. Never. But it is His good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Much more than you can think or expect. So let's finish up with application. What's it all mean? How do we see it working into and out through our lives? I want to point out three things. The first thing is God's plan. And we talked about this some last week. Remember we, we started the music and finished the, the preaching with the one verse that says, As for this God, His way is what? Perfect. 
God's plan is perfect. And what is God's plan? Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Overwhelmingly too much to handle, superfluous, pouring into and out through us to the point that we just can't manage it. And I'm not talking about a helter-skelter, out-of-control life. I'm talking about a life that is focused on the glory of God and is filled up with Him so that He is pouring out through us. That's the life that Jesus came to give us. And that's God's plan. When God said, I'm going to overwhelmingly conquer death and sin, I'm going to do much more than just undo that curse. I'm going to give my people, my children, abundant life. That's God's plan. How's He going to do it? There it is. In His good pleasure, He has chosen to give us His kingdom. That's God's plan. Abundant life given the kingdom of God. That's God's plan. That's the first point of application. Please know, church, please know, redeemed person, please know, saved, born-again person, it is God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom It is God's plan to give you abundant life. God's plan. Second point is God's power. How is He going to do it? Listen. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory. In the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Back up. The first point was God's plan. The second point is God's power that I want you to get a hold of. He is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. I made a statement one time years ago. I was. It was before a church service. We were getting set up and I was talking to a lady. Dear lady, loves the Lord. And I was belly aching. I was grumbling. And she said this. She said, but God's able to help you. And I made this statement. I don't know if even God can do this. I said that. Now, I got some pretty crazy looks just now when I said that. Don't tell me you've never thought that. I don't know if God... I don't know. Maybe you didn't think, I don't know if God can, but you're like, I don't know if God will, which may be more valid. Maybe. But what I want you to see in this application point, God's power, He is able to do in you, in me, because that's what we saw at the end of it, right? In the church. Who's in the church? I'm in the church. If you're born again, you're in the church. He is able to do far more abundantly, much more than all that we ask or think. God, will you help me? Oh yeah, I'll do that and I'll do far more abundantly than that. God, can you overcome death and sin? Oh yeah, I can do that. I can do far more than that. I can do much more than that. According to the power at work, oh church, within us, This is not for some holy group of people who've isolated themselves from the world and who have a second blessing or a special blessing. God, no! 
It's within us. It's in the church. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Please hear me say this. God's plan is to give you abundant life and He is able to do that. And that life is far more abundant than you can imagine. Far more. You're like, but I'm wrestling with this. Far more. Much more than whatever you're struggling with. The sin that you're struggling with, He is able to overcome that. We walk around like our hands are tied as Christians. I can't do anything about pornography. It's just mastered me. No! In Christ Jesus, far more abundantly than anything you think or ask. Far more abundantly than pornography. Far more abundantly than fear of cancer. Far more abundantly than your poverty. Far more abundantly than what you can think or ask. Do not put yourself in the grip of sin, believer. God is able to cause to abound to you much more than you can think or imagine. Your sin is strong. Your sin is 6.6 sextillion tons strong. God's grace is much bigger than that. His power is much more powerful in you than that sin is. God's plan, God's power, and it culminates in what we just looked at, God's people. 2 Corinthians 9.8 And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having <laughs> so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. God's not going to do this through somebody else. He's going to do it through you. He's going to do it through me. He's going to do it through us. That's His plan. And He has the power to do that through us. Much more than we know. I'm going to ask you a question. Are you enslaved to something this morning? Paul said, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but I will be mastered by nothing. Is it food? Is it sex? Is it sleep? Is it laziness? Greed? Money? No, 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 no. All sufficiency in all things at all times that you may abound in every good work. And oh, I get sick to my stomach of hearing people say, well, God can't do it through me. You may abound in every good work, not because of what you're able to do, but because of God who is able to make all grace abound to you. Much more. What's the old song? Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's great grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. Much more greater much more greater -er than my sin. 
Are you wrestling with guilt and shame this morning? Take it to Jesus. His grace overwhelms it. You feel powerless this morning? Take it to Jesus. He overwhelms it. And He does it through us. Much more. Much more. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Let's pray. God, my words fail here. I got nothing left. I can't. I can't articulate this, but I do believe that your spirit is able to make this truth abound in our hearts. We are not victims. Your word says that we overwhelmingly conquer. And how do we do it? We do it through the free gift of grace given by You through the one man's act of obedience. God, we were helpless and hopeless in our sin. Death reigned over us in our sin. But You came in and You trashed that place. You threw that place, burned it down to the ground and brought us to a new place where Your grace reigns and rules and You've appointed us as rulers in that place so that we might reign and rule with Christ in life over all of these things. God, would You please, by the power of Your Spirit, who is able to do what we cannot do, would You please help us to know the truth of what we just talked about? much more. May we know that You are a God of much more. And may we never look at our sin and feel helpless. May we never look at our world and feel helpless. May we never look in the mirror and feel helpless. But may we look in Your Word and see that much more, much more, You are greater, You are stronger, You are better, than all those things that seek to hold us down. Please help us, God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand for a benediction? I use this one a lot, but I can't help it. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.